Good morning. Guinness Book of World Records records this particular table as the longest one in the world. Take a look at it. It's outside Beijing, China. This was two years ago in 2016. 10,000 people sat at the table. It was, it's 2.3 miles long. This particular minority group in China uh, celebrates such a way their festivals or when dignitaries come, this is the way they do it. I'd say that is a party, and I'd like to be there someday. When Jesus came into the world, he did his best to, to tell us things by stories so that we could capture and understand what it means to be in the kingdom of God. And one of the stories or the pictures, word pictures he would use, is that the kingdom of God one day will be like everybody sitting around at a table, at a banquet table, enjoying a feast under this great host, God himself. I remember when I was a little boy, my mom and dad loved entertaining people. We lived in this little bungalow off of uh, off of. Uh, uh, the National Road, 40. I've always lived near Route 40. I, I guess if I ever leave here, I got to live on Route 40 somewhere. I'm always near uh, Route 40, just like in Plainfield. And, and we had this little bungalow, and really the largest room in the house was the dining room. And uh, we had this old Duncan Fife style dining room table, drop leaf. I can still hear my mom say, Bob, put another leaf in the table. It meant that more people were coming. And I thought it was such a happy time when that dining room was filled, even though I got a lecture before they came about behavior and whatever. But you know, that's what God says to us as well. He's setting this table, and he wants more leaves added to his table. Right now, there are a little over a billion people that are going to be seated at his table when the Lord comes back. That means there's almost six billion people that aren't there yet. That he wants to be at the table. And you know he wants to use you to get people around that table. And so to help us understand what this kingdom is like, he tells this story. Uh, it's recorded for us in the biography that Luke writes of Jesus' life in chapter 14 and verse 12. I'm going re- to start there. Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, Do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I bought a field. I have to go and see it. Excuse me. Another said, I've just bought a yoke, two yoke, five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you order has just has been done. There's still room. 
And the master told his servant, then go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This table has got to be filled. And the church exists to make the kingdom of God known and to make sure this table is crowded with all kinds of people. These three things to remember. First of all, adding a leaf to this table requires an invitation. It's a parable, Jesus tells. Just a little story, but has spiritual impact. It's a great banquet, and there are many people that invite. It's the social event of the season. I suppose one of those high society uh, weddings of the decade has been Harry and Meghan. In the previous uh, century, is probably Diana and Charles. There are always people like that. Today, if you're going to be invited to a wedding, it's a pretty common thing now to get a save the date. And you put it on your fridge uh, to make sure you mark your calendar, remind it all the time, and then the day comes. But it has the location, it has the date, it has the time. It's nothing new. In Jesus' day, they did the same thing. They sent a save the date uh, invitation out. The different thing about their save the date invitation was it didn't have a time of day. Because it took a lot of preparation to get everything ready in that particular culture. And they didn't know exactly what time the banquet would be ready. So all day, if you had had a save the date on your refrigerator or your well or whatever it is where you put your save the date in Jesus' day, uh, you, you just kind of waited. You anticipated all day. You got ready all day. You were looking forward. There weren't a lot of social, big social occasions in Jesus' day. So it was a really big deal to come together. And so here, we have our Heavenly Father hosting this great banquet. It's the wedding supper of His Son that's going to happen when Jesus comes back. Now, for sin, I think when Jesus first told this, He was referring to the Jews because the first invitation went out to them. They were, they were to be prepared for the coming of Jesus. Sadly, when finally He came Himself and welcomed people to Himself, the Jews rejected Him. And so Jesus, that God moved beyond the Jewish people to the Gentiles. That's why we get to be here today, because we're a bunch of Gentiles who have been welcomed in because of the rejection of the Jews. God knew that was going to happen. The most expensive wedding reception ever held was by an Arab prince a number of years ago. $44 million was spent on the reception. That pales by contrast to the price Jesus paid for you and me. That we could be at that final bank where the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ, was poured out. Now, I got a couple questions for you regarding this invitation. First of all, is your life more like a feast or a funeral? I think there are a lot of people who say they walk with Jesus, Jesus made them alive, that look like dead people. They're more governed by the political climate and by the troubles of this culture or circumstances of life. And there doesn't seem to be much joy about them. And a joyless Christian is a contradiction. Regardless of our circumstances, we are called to live in joy. And the world is watching us. Why would they pay attention to the one we say we believe in and serve if we are joyless people? If we're not even fun to be around? If you're grouchy? If you're rude? If your language is no different? The way you treat your spouse is no different? Your outlook on life is no different. Why should anybody want to be with you? Too many people live like they're, they're going to a funeral than going to a party. Vance Havner wrote one time, I could never understand why some Christians could go to a ball game on Saturday and yell like a bunch of wild Indians and then go to church the next day and sit like a bunch of wooden Indians. 
Too many church services start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull. The clock struck 12 at Sunday noon and the church gave up her dead. Is that the demeanor of your life when you leave this place? Are you dead regarding your life and your spirit, your joy, your outlook? See, if we're going to, if we're going to share an invitation for people, then it needs to be, we need to be winsome people, people they want to be with, they want to hang around. Are you the kind of person people want to hang around just because of who you are? Second, is your salvation like a catered meal or a pitch-in? It's important to know that. You know, my mom, as I said, she loved having people over, and uh, she, she loved being invited. I, and I can hear my mom also say, well, what do you want me to bring? What can I bring? And I know the other voice say, oh, nothing, just yourself. No, 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 I have to bring something. And if they said nothing, mom still took something. It's sort of like it was worth asking me because you got something out of it too. And sometimes we treat God that way. God, you probably you ought to be lucky to get me because look what I'm bringing to you. You know, we have nothing to offer him in this meal. Imagine somebody saying, hey, I want to take you to St. Elmo's. And you think, whoa, $150 meal or $200 meal? Great. Uh, yes. And you know what? I've got a, a, a Stouffer's mac and cheese in the freezer. I'll just throw it in. Why? It's a ridiculous picture, isn't it? As if you could supplement a meal at San Elmo's to make it taste a little better. It's a ridiculous picture. Now, why this is important is when we are trying to influence the world, so often church people have kind of lived like, well, you're not the church type, but if you try to become the church type, then I'm sure you would like coming with me. Now, this isn't just about being a church attendance. I'm not sure even we should be, be as strong about that as we should be just living Jesus. So people say to us, man, I want, I want your life. How do you live the way you do? We should, we should have, have such a demeanor in our lives that people just want to live the life we live. It's about Jesus, the life changer. And yet sometimes we live like I've got to somehow let God know it's worth it that he saved me because look what I'm, look what I'm bringing. It's like a pitch-in. And when, when we're talking about salvation, there's no pitch-in about it. The message was everything is ready. Everything's been accomplished for us through the pouring out of Jesus on the cross of Calvary that we, we might be brought in and everybody else that you care about can be as well. Come is the message. At a leaf. Adding a leaf requires the invitation. It also requires patience because the kingdom of God comes slowly. Another metaphor that Jesus uses for the kingdom is seed, seed that takes root, and then it's slow growing. It's slow to germinate. And just like when you're watching your garden or you plant grass seed, it's taking forever, it seems, for it to come. You're always checking. And that's how the kingdom of God works. Jesus said it's also like yeast that works through dough. And you just gotta, you just gotta wait. And wait for the dough to raise. That's how, that's how yeast works. And that's how the kingdom works. You know, you think of your finest day as a believer, whether it's the day you, you sense peace or joy or as a worship service you are in. It's a high point of your experience with Christ. You know, whatever that was and is, it's only a little shadow compared to the fullness, the full reality that's going to come when Jesus comes back. And so the kingdom of God today is just still in its infancy. 
It's still growing. It's still permeating. It's slow growing little by little until the day when Christ comes back and we're going to see exactly all this host of people around his table. Kids' birthday parties can drive you nuts. Do you remember when you're like, it's Saturday morning, 6.30, and you just feel hot breath next to you. And then there's these eyes staring at you. What do you want? It's my birthday. We're having my party. Is it time? No, no, no. Go back to bed. It's six, it's six o'clock in the morning, you know, and it's six twelve. They come back. Is it time now? And all morning, you know, it goes on. How much longer now? He said, "Honey, it's long. There's a lot to get ready. It's not till three o'clock. You got to take a nap. A nap? I don't want to live. You know, that's kind of how it is. <laughs> it's a long, enduring process. And God Himself exhibits such long suffering because it, it, we learn through Him." that we exercise, we must exercise lots of patience with people as we invest in them and come along. Just like he did with you and me. Just like Jesus when he came to the earth. He was here 30 years before he had one word to say about the kingdom. And then when he starts walking around, you remember his first miracle? I mean, he doesn't cleanse lepers or raise the dead. That, to me, would be a really good beginning. What does he do? He goes to a wedding reception, and he changed water into wine, just helping the punch be a little better. But it says he revealed his glory there, just like he can anywhere. It doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter what we're doing. He can be glorified wherever we are. And little by little, his kingdom is made known by his people and what our lives are about. So there's a, you see, there's a, there's a, a hereness about the kingdom of God and a not yetness at the same time. We've entered the kingdom of, if you've been born again, if you've been baptized into Jesus Christ, you entered the kingdom of God. And so there are good things that start happening. But the fullness of the kingdom isn't going to take place until Jesus comes back and all things, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's not everything, all healing will be accomplished. All justice will be executed. All restoration will have taken place. Everything will be as it was. And we are thankful that we get to look forward to that day. So this invitation goes out. Verse 18, it says, but they all began to make excuses. See, in the Middle East, to receive an invitation like this was was a stellar invitation. And to reject it would be an egregious insult. I mean, a slap in the face not to come. So in other words, these people received an invitation. They said, yeah, we'll be there. Save the date right there. And then when it was raised, they said, no, really can't come. And their alibis became lullabies. And that's what happens to church people, you know. You start having excuses for not being all in. And then you sleep yourself right into hell for eternity. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to end up there. Jesus poured out his blood that that we may be gathered together on that last day. But we're good at excuses. There's a web, there are websites you can go to to give you good excuses for things. You know, one website says, if you're, falling, if you're caught falling asleep at work, just say, oh, they, they said at the blood bank that might happen. <laughs> Try it. Well, you probably had your own excuses. 
There were three excuses why these wouldn't come. First guy says, I got to take care of my stuff. You know, he's got this land. I got to go look it over as if he hasn't ever looked at his land before. You know, we've all got a lot of stuff, don't we? And the more stuff we have, the more we have to dust, the more we have to replace when it's broken, the more we have to maintain, and the more we need time to use it if we've got the stuff. One of the things I love about the millennial generation is, is that they love experiences over things. That's a great quality. Now, if we can take that quality and learn it from them well, and then really put our experience into being with people, what a great change we could bring to the world, I believe. But we've got to become a little more minimalistic. That we care less and less about stuff than we do time with people. Jesus said a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. My, my job keeps me too busy. That's what the next guy says. I'm just too busy with my job. And of course, there are many people on an executive level, or maybe you're a company owner, and, and you have just a demanding job, and you don't have much choice. But most of us have plenty of options what to do with our time. And there's plenty of ways that we can invest our time in the things that matter most. This guy said he had to test drive his oxen, really, in the evening, in the dark, Something just doesn't make sense and resonate well with that excuse. The third guy says, well, it's my family takes up my time. I'm a newlywed. My wife wouldn't like me to go to the party. Uh, we just got married. But it's, it's a silly thought to think that she, he's invited and she's not invited. Or she made this stellar meal that he doesn't want to miss when they've got a banquet feast waiting for them, been prepared for them. It doesn't make sense. Now, we're to, we're to take care of our families and lead our families well, and we're to invest in our families. But Jesus also said, if you don't love me more than your families, you cannot be my disciple. You can't be. He doesn't say, we'll talk about it. No, he says, you can't be my disciple. I've got to be first. You see, all these that were invited, they represent not, they, they don't represent people that are ruthlessly against Jesus. They don't, they're, they're not hateful people. They're not people that, that scoff at believers. These are people that said, yeah, I'm in. But they're really not. Just like some church folks that say, I'm in, you can count on me. But nothing has really changed. And what I want to say to you, if Jesus hasn't changed or isn't changing your agenda in your life, you're not all in. And that's a problem. When Jesus comes in as Lord of your life, he changes your calendar. He changes your habits. He changes your language. He changes the way you spend your money. He changes the way you treat your wife, the way you treat your husband, the way you raise your kids, the way you do your homework, the, the way you have friendships, the, 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 the humor that you have. It, he changes everything. And if he's not rocking you inside in a, in, a, in a way all the time, in some way, he is not absolute Lord of our lives. And to be at that banquet table means... His will is what we care about more than anything else. Jesus comes in. He says, look, I'm moving into your life. And we've got some gutting to do here. We're not just going to redecorate. We're not going to just move the furniture around. We're going to tear down the walls and we're going to start over. That's what being born again is all about. And friends, it takes a lot of people to love people to Jesus. And to add a leaf to the table means to walk a long time with people. 
Just like God was patient with you. How many years did he wait on you to get it? Some of you, he's still waiting on. And we trust that day will come and all the pieces come together. But this is what I want to challenge you to. In just a couple of minutes, a few minutes, we're going to be holding a little, piece, a little cup of juice, a little piece of bread that represents a banquet feast that we're preparing for. It's just a prelude to the greatest banquet of all. And we call this time the Lord's Supper. When you think of that, you think about a table set for supper. It's called that because Jesus had that last meal with the disciples, the last supper with them before he died on the cross for our sins. That was, that's the Lord's table, we say. It's symbolic. But I kind of challenge you to do something. If you will join me in being serious about getting people around this table, the Lord's table, I'd like you to see your kitchen table and your dining room table as the second Lord's table. The table that God wants to use to get people to his table, the Lord's table, and that final table, the banquet feast of the Lord. Can you do that? When's the last time you had an unbelieving person at your table? When's the last person you had a, a neighbor that you don't know very well at your table? When's the last time you took a risk with somebody? Say, Why don't you come over? You didn't know how it would go. I want to suggest to you, if we could all dedicate our tables and our houses to the Lord, I believe we'll be adding leaf after leaf after leaf to the Lord's table. That's why we exist, loving all people to new life in Christ. Do you remember this gal, Sarah Cummins? She was in the Indianapolis Star earlier this year. She's the gal that at the last minute canceled her wedding. And her dilemma was she had paid for this reception hall and the food to a tune of $30,000. She hated for it to go to waste. What'd she do? She went to the homeless shelters. And she invited homeless people to come have the feast of their lives. They were simply loved and enjoyed that evening. That's the picture, friends. That's the picture of a table, a banquet that's already been paid for. By Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And he wants people around that table with him forever and ever. I like to eat. But whatever I've enjoyed here is nothing compared to what that feast is going to be. So let's do what we can by opening our homes and adding room at our tables to love all people to new life in Jesus. Maybe it's you. In fact, maybe you're one that's not at the Lord's table yet. Maybe you're here checking out Jesus, wondering what this is about. But I'm telling you, trust, trust the testimony of many who have gone before you. There is no one like Jesus to love you to himself. There's no one like him. His grace is amazing. Your sin, my sin, has been paid for. He wants a relationship with you, not a religion. He wants a relationship with you. Your creator wants a relationship with you. That's the greatest message in the world. If you have not been obedient to him, he commands us to be baptized into him. And when we do that, we are, we are put to death. We are laid in a grave. And then we are dying to ourselves. We're saying, I'm no longer going to be in charge of my own life. 
I want you alone to be my Lord because you died in my place and you're resurrected to a brand new life. We encourage you to do it. Don't miss that great day of the Lord. Let's worship.